Hello, I'm Jeff Ranke, Editorial Director of Manufacturing.net and Manufacturing Business Technology. Welcome to Security Breach. You've probably heard a number of reports citing ransomware as the leading attack strategy within the industrial sector. In some instances, it's been reported that ransomware groups are focusing as much as 70% of their activity on manufacturing enterprises. In one report from ICS Security Specialist Dragos, it was reported that 65% of all attacks thrown at the industrial sector were of the ransomware variety. Now, according to today's guest, cybersecurity attacks like this one are never going to be a one-and-done situation, meaning ongoing vigilance against ransomware criminals and the like require ongoing security diligence. Greg Skazny is the CTO of Blue Shift Cybersecurity, a provider of security solutions focused on helping small and medium-sized businesses develop and maintain a security posture that simultaneously defends against attacks while working to preserve ongoing operations. Greg, thanks for joining us today. And going back and forth, we talked a lot about ransomware. It continues to be a huge issue within the industrial sector. But just to offer a little bit more background there from your perspective, who do you see as some of the biggest players when it comes to these ransomware criminals? And what are some of the why are they continuing to go after the industrial sector and, and where are they kind of hitting hardest? Well, <clears throat> excuse me. What people need to realize is that, you know, the industrial sector or the business sector, these guys are criminals, right? So and they're groups of people and and what I try to tell people is like, listen, don't listen to the news too much. Most of these guys are not going to get caught. They're not going to be what we call, you're not going to attribute these attacks to these guys. They're opportunistic, um, but they're they're smart, right? So what I tell people all the time is, is, especially in cyber defense, is that the bad guys are smart too. So you have to think it's not just one guy in his basement or one group of people who are doing this. There are multiple groups doing multiple different things, whether that's you know the reconnaissance piece and trying to figure out what's out there to that initial um, compromise and getting access to a, a company or a system and then finding out what that is and then selling that access, right? So um, it's it's hard to say who they are, right? They're, they're not usually not here in the United States, right? They're usually going to be somewhere else. Um, they're going to target anywhere that they can get paid. Right. So when you start thinking about manufacturing, critical infrastructure, um, industrial control type applications that service things that are important, right? So <clears throat> water plants or pipelines or processing plants, think about what, how they're insured and how they can pay. Right. So they know these people will pay because their business is very timely, right? I have to have things that have to happen now. Um, they're more likely to get involved to pay the ransom versus trying to figure out, okay, how do we recover? How do we get our backups back up? How do we do all this fun stuff? You know, you have to make that balance of when you're going to pay, but more than likely they're going to pay the ransom to get back up. So that's, that's the oppor- opportunity that the adversaries see and why they're going to, why they target things like industrial control and, and manufacturing facilities. So are you seeing any individual sectors that are bigger targets? I mean, we've seen them hit everything from the Colonial Pipeline to meat packaging facilities. Are you seeing anything more specific there? Well, again, for them, it doesn't matter, right? They don't care who it is. They don't care what they do, to be honest. Um, it's, there's, there's a, and we, we should probably get into at some point the difference between a, a, cyber, um, a, a cyber criminal Right versus cyber warfare, a little bit different when it comes to targeting things. But a cyber criminal wants to be paid, so it doesn't really matter to them. They're not going to look for a target. They're going to look. And I did. I used to do a ton of offensive security, and offensive guys and real adversaries are lazy. They're going to take the easiest road to get to that paycheck. Right. So, and it's unfortunate that, especially with manufacturing and the type of technologies they have to do, it's hard to secure. 
Um, a lot of that stuff is designed because the data has to happen so quickly um, not to be secure. So those things are, are traditionally difficult to, to secure. They usually don't have great defensive postures, unfortunately. Um, and so they're always going to take that easy target. So if you have a manufacturing facility and, and you're an easy target, they're going to get you just the way it is. They're going to take that path of least resistance. So you're not going to, I don't think you're really going to see people focusing on, Hey, we're going to go after again, from a cyber cyber criminal uh, perspective, you're not going to see them go to after like, Hey, we're going to specifically go after a power plant. or we're going to specifically go after a meatpacking plant or a pipeline or whatever the case may be. You'd probably see that more on the warfare side, right? The cyber criminal side is okay. We're going to go after whoever we can can to get paid, and if they happen to to be in that in that sector, fine, right? And that that that's what they'll do. Their their goal is to get paid. Sure, and I mean the two biggest pro, highest profile cases of ransomware that we've seen in the last year or so: Colonial Pipeline and JBS, the big pulled a big uh, meat processor. Both cases they paid a significant amount. From your perspective, what are some of the different things to look at when determining <clears throat> number one if you're going to pay? And number one, how to sort of go through and facilitate that process. So I will never give advice on how to facilitate a process because I actually <laughs> think it's illegal. I don't think you should ever pay, right? And but that's me talking, and that's very you know altruistic of me to be able to say that. And but it's really baloney, right? I, I, I I'm not in a position to say that. What a business has to come out to is say, okay, what what's and it's a business decision. It's really not a technology decision. It's it's you know, do we pay because we need to get our business back? Do we have any way to recover? What's the cost of that recovery? And then what's the cost to pay the ransom? That, and that's a hundred percent business decision. Now, I can tell you that every person who pays is absolutely making it worse for the next guy, right? Because oh, yeah. the more people that pay, the more you're going to proliferate the problem. Um, I, I don't believe in facilitating ransomware payments and, and things like that. Um, and I don't, we don't, or my company does not do that. Um, but I do understand that sometimes you don't have a choice, especially you know if you're a smaller processor, um, even smaller businesses. You know, your choice could be. Either I pay the ransom or I go out of business. That's not really a choice, right? You have to do that. And I understand that. Um, but, you know, the the biggest thing that's really kind of happened, and you'll see this in premiums now coming up, is, you know, the, the bad guys got smart. They go, well, we're, we're, we're going to up our, you know, five years ago, six years ago, you didn't hear about ransoms in the millions of dollars or the hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, ransoms were 5,000 bucks, 1,000 bucks, something that was easily payable and just move on to the next. Well, these guys got smart and they know that, whoa, these guys have insurance policies and these insurance policies will pay. So now, you know, we're going to hit you for a million, two million. I mean, CNA is not an industrial system, but they're an insurance company. They they paid 40 million bucks to get access to their systems back. That's a lot of money. And these and again, they, these guys are going to go where the money is. So they know that again, if you can cripple, you know, crippling a, a small business that does something um, non-critical. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but, you know crippling a mom and pop versus crippling a pipeline or crippling a water plant. Very, very different. And in the, in how quick you need to react and how quickly you need to get things back up. And I think that just helps facilitate them targeting those types of systems because they know that they have to act fast and that usually means they're going to pay. Very good. So we've talked about the bad guys a lot. Let's talk about some of the good guys a little bit here, Greg, what can you tell us about blue shift cybersecurity and, and some of the work that you guys do? Um, we're a, we call a SOC as a service. So the security operations center is a service. We, you know, we put in a platform that collects data, um, and we collect data from anything we can. And that means whether we can uh, collect network data, we collect data from cloud systems, we collect data from agents and all kinds of stuff. And then we write out detection algorithms to look for things very early on in the cyber kill chain. One of the things that happens with 
cyber attacks, and again, whether it's in a <clears throat> control system environment or business environment, is that you know these adversaries have two paths that can kind of go down. They can go really, really fast, so they can get in and try to do things fast, but fast is noisy, and noisy is very detectable. So a lot of times they'll they'll spend a lot of time in in that system trying to figure out what it is and all that kind of stuff. They but they get what we call low and slow, and that. Average time, according to IBM, is about 287 days between the initial compromise until you detect that compromise. It's a very long time. And so that wow. time is called dwell time. And that's we use that to our advantage, right? So we know they're going to be in there. <clears throat> we know that they're going to get past your protective or your preventative technologies, right? So let's, um, like I, I say, let, let's, let's address the elephant in the room, right? Every data breach you've ever read about in the news or heard about or read about in a blog or on a podcast, every one of those the adversaries has has either bypassed or got around your prevent your preventative technologies, your firewalls, your antiviruses, right? We have to do something better. We have to, again, you need those things. You should have those things. But if you're not looking, if you don't have eyes on monitoring and watching for anomalies in your systems, then bad things are going to happen. And that's what we provide. We provide that at a very affordable cost. Um, it's very, it's almost, it's enterprise security for anybody. Um, and and that's what, that's what we're, we're striving to bring to market. Interesting. You know, Greg, another area that you guys focus on is the CMMC 2.0 compliance. For those who are not familiar, maybe you could talk a little bit about what that is and how it can maybe help our uh, the industrial sector a bit. Yeah. So CMMC stands for the Cybersecurity Model, um, Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification, and it's on version 2.0. Um, this was a, a standard that was put in place in the prior administration, and it was meant to be an audited standard, right? And so they, we went through a couple of different things, but I actually thought that was a really good idea. So, and this is for industrial contractors. So what we call the DIBs, the defense industrial base. Um, so the government would come out with a contract. They would give it to a prime or whoever they're going to give it to and say, hey, listen, this contract, you must be CMMC level two, let's just say. And then every sub would have to also attest that they were CMMC level two. But it was an audited um, certification. So what that means is like you can't just you take the checklist and go, Oh yeah, we, we're doing instant response. Yeah, we do that. Sure. And, and yeah, we got that too. Um, which a lot of people did, which is why we were getting owned so much. Right. So and I would say we, you know, us as a defense country. So um, I thought it was a really good idea to come up with this audited standard. Now, the problem is it's complex. And what I mean by that is it's really not, the controls are really good. They're based off of NIST, NIST 800-171. Um, but when you talk about people who are in the food service business that do things, right? They may have to have a SIM. They don't know what an incident response plan is. They don't know what, how sure. to, you know, have a SIM or any of those kind of things. So um, they kind of pulled back on that for, at first and said, okay, we're not, we're going to make it self um, testable, which I thought was a bad idea. And then if you were another level, they're going to make you audit it. But the last I heard, last I, I meeting I, I said it on was, they call that bifurcation. They got rid of that. It's still going to be an auditable. You have to have an, an audit um, to become compliant with CMMC. So um, I think it's good. The problem is it's going to be, it, it's, it's cost, right? It's expensive to try to go through that stuff. But I think that if we really want to make a difference in our defense industrial base and in our defensive cyber and not get owned and, and, and have adversaries going after, you know, these lower contractors to get into higher contractors, to get into to even more sensitive stuff, we have to do something like this. So um, that was part of the reason why we put together our platform as well, was to help with that um, compliance. We 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 meet a lot of the very difficult technical controls that that are for, uh, for CMMC, and then um, 
we have partners that can help with some of the the non-technical controls, the guards, guns, gates, the you know, policies and procedures and things that you have to do to to obtain that compliance. Excellent. You know, when we look at cybersecurity and really a lot of different issues right now going on in the world, we look to things that are going on between Russia and Ukraine. From a cybersecurity perspective, there's been a lot that's come out in terms of this being part of the tactics on both sides in kind of trying to make things as difficult as possible for the other. What are you seeing and what type of impacts could this potentially have on the industrial sector here in the U.S.? So if you really want to see what a, a, a real cyber at warfare adversary can do, you can just look to the Ukraine a few years ago. Six years ago, there was an attack on their power grid, right? And in from a purely academic standpoint, it is, it's a beautiful thing to look at, right? It's, it's terrible what happened. But to study that and to, to understand what a real nation state would do um, in the event of a cyber attack, it's, it's good study material. So people need to be prepared for that, that kind of stuff. There are things happening. We haven't seen a, a large swath of attacks against the U.S., right? Um, <clears throat> we do track what's called reconnaissance. So um, we have part of our platform is we, we watch for attacks and watch for things happening and people probing things kind of across all of our customers. And we aggregate that back in a big data platform. And we've seen, as soon as the conflict started, we saw a huge uptick in reconnaissance activity. So this is, these are more, they're all automated, um, but they're automated bots out there looking for things that are easily exploitable. So if you have, you know, if you have old applications out there, you're not keeping up with your patches or you have, God forbid you have RDP open to the outside and you have, don't have two factor and all these things you should be doing. Um, they're looking for that kind of stuff. They're looking for weaknesses. They're not doing anything with it yet, but they're collecting that data, right? So when it is time to strike, they can go back and, and probably, again, I'm, this is an assumption on my part, but um, they can go back and then find those things that are going to be that weak, the easiest link to go in and, and, and make havoc. And people need to, to, to realize the difference between what would happen in a warfare scenario versus a cyber, um, the, the, the cyber criminal scenario. In a cyber warfare scenario, they don't really care about your money, right? You're not going to pay the government of Russia, right? They, they're going to be like, your money doesn't mean anything to me. Um, they're bent on destruction, right? They don't go in with tanks and guns to you know, extort people. They go there to destroy things. And it's no different in the cyber realm. So again, if there's any time, it's been a good time to, to bone up on your defensive cyber, cyber. Today is the day, right? There's no better day than today. Um, and people need to realize that because should that happen again, they can go after there's, there's, there's so many businesses. I mean, there's millions of businesses in the United States. Right. So, and that's in the industrial sector, it's in the private sector, it's in, you know, everything that they can choose to, to, to wreak havoc on. And it's, and again, it's going to be this type of stuff that's non-recoverable or very difficult to recover from. It's not going to be pay the ransom and get my business back. It's be like, Oh, how are we starting over? Um, and so people need to realize that and what the, what the risks are and then take appropriate steps to defend themselves. Makes sense. Greg, going to ask you to put your uh, prognosticator hat on for a little bit. You know, we know about all these different things. We've talked a lot about ransomware already. We know there's a lot of other different malicious activities that are going on out there in the cybersecurity realm. If you had to look over the next 12 to 18 months, and specifically at the U.S. industrial sector, what do you feel might be some of the bigger vulnerabilities or trends that we're going to see? You know, that's that's always hard to say, right? The look in the cyber, you know, um, crystal ball and say what's going to happen you never know right and that's that's part of the it's part of the allure of being in cyber is is the ingenuity that attack a, a threat actors use right and, the, and there there's some really really bright threat actors out there they do some things that are just absolutely incredible um you know 
but you have to what we need to realize is besides the warfare piece of it so we don't know when that's going to end right that's a relatively new thing um you know it's always been out there but it's not been as as uh prolific as it is now when we see all this kind of recon activity but what people need to realize is that most threat actors going after even the industrial sector are financially motivated right so ransomware is going to stay around for a while that's not going to go anywhere um as long as there's cryptocurrency and ways to get paid they're they're going to be there doing that kind of stuff but it's not going to be just ransomware right so they're, you know, they've we've been saying for years that hey, just because they they just ransom your data doesn't mean they're not going to steal it, right? So they're going to steal data, and they're doing that now. Uh, they they blackmail you to, to they're going to post your industrial secrets or your trade secrets on Pastebin and all that kind of stuff. They're going to DDoS your website and try to you know they're going to do everything they can to get you to pay and not just hold your data ransom. So you're going to see more of that kind of extortion stuff happening because again, they want people to pay. You may have a good backup, but that's fine. I stole your data, and so now you still need to pay. Um, so you, you see that kind of stuff <clears throat> with the industrial sector in particular. I think, you know, those I mean, can, people and, I, and people in the ICSOT cyber defense, right? They, they understand the differences between half and how you have to defend those systems, but um, it's, it's, it actually is kind of specialized, right? So you, people need to realize that how you have to defend those systems, um, that when what data is actually important, right? So you know, in industrial control system, you know, the confidentiality of that data is not super important. It's only good for a millisecond or two. Um, so you know, it it's more keeping access away and and, and guarding that kind of stuff. But um, those places um, are sometimes easier targets, right? Because because of how their systems are designed and have to work. So um, they should be on guard all the time. You know, they and and they should have some monitoring in place. They have to watch. The, you're never going to get away from that human element of watching what's happening and reacting. If people think they can automate that defensive cyber away, they're going to lose because that's what we've been trying to do. Um, you need to have a really good blend of high automation and then a blend of human interaction with that to be able to make decisions quickly um, to de de defend your, your company. Thanks, Greg. For more information on the work BlueShift Cybersecurity does, you can go to www.blueshiftcyber.com. Thanks for joining us today. To catch up on past episodes, you can go to manufacturing.net, in.com, or mbtmag.com. For Greg Skazny, I'm Jeff Ranke, and this is Security Breach.